Well, brothers and sisters, let's take our Bibles once again this morning, find the book of Proverbs and go to the very end of it, Proverbs chapter 31, which is one of the most famous chapters, maybe the most famous single chapter in all of the book of Proverbs, that great uh, letter of wisdom, series of letters really written by Solomon to his sons to help them to know how to make wise decisions in the will of God. We'll be in the final chapter for a few minutes on this Mother's Day, a very fitting and appropriate chapter, I think, for Mother's Day. And as you're finding that, let me again say thank you for being so faithful. Brad just prayed a beautiful prayer, offertory prayer. We're obviously not taking an offering in the worship center today, but you're being faithful to give it. You're giving it uh, through the U.S. mail. You're bringing it by the church. You are giving it, most of all, through e-giving. And I just want you to know that April was a very strong giving month for us because of you. And we're just a few weeks out from gathering together uh, together again, at least in kind of an unusual way. We'll begin that process here in just a few weeks. And until we do, stay strong through the month of May. Stay healthy. stay, stay, uh, Stay safe and stay well. And uh, as I thank you for your faithfulness, let me also encourage you to continue to remain faithful in these important days. Proverbs chapter 31 this morning. Let's take a few minutes and dig into the Word of God because today is Mother's Day. And I think we do well to give our attention on Mother's Day uh, to a subject that I have to be honest with, I'm not quite sure I've mastered, and that is the subject of biblical womanhood. I do want to talk about it today because the Bible talks about it. We've been talking in these days of COVID-19 separation, basically concerning messages that have to do with courage and fearlessness in the wake of stress and uncertainty. And uh, today, I just want us to be a little bit different and answer the question, what makes for an excellent woman? We live in a day and time where women have unparalleled opportunity more than any other time, I think, in human history. You know, there once was a time that women were not looked upon so favorably. The Bible was written, obviously, centuries ago in a very patriarchal society. And uh, during much of that period, ancient Jewish men would often begin their day with a prayer of thanksgiving to God, where they would thank God that they weren't born a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. And I know you'd agree with me that, thankfully, uh, times have changed. But for all the advances uh, that women have seen in America and around the world today, the debate still rages as to what is the proper role of women, what's the proper role of a woman in government, in business, in the military, what's the proper role of a woman in the family. And I'm pretty sure I'm not capable at all of solving all of that today, and we won't do that. But I do think that it's interesting that the Bible has something to say about the subject, the excellent woman. And interestingly, it comes as the final word right out of the book of Proverbs. Now, Proverbs 31 is a lengthy passage. We read it to begin our service today. And it's not at all simple to encapsulate down into a quick teaching, but I think that we can best understand it, at least for our purposes today, by looking at the subject of the woman from the perspective of four key relationships that are pointed out in this passage of Scripture. There's, first of all, the woman and her family. Secondly, the Bible talks about the woman and her interests. Uh, Third, the Bible speaks of the woman and herself. And then finally, the woman 
concerning her relationship with her Lord. So let's wrap our remarks and structure our remarks around those four concepts this morning. First of all, I want you to notice that an excellent woman is one who, first of all, supports her family. She supports her family. It's interesting, the first thing we notice about this woman is that she's a wife, which means that we can immediately reject many feminist notions that men are unnecessary or unimportant to a woman's life. Look again at Proverbs 31 and verse 10. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. Now, I want you to remember with me this morning that Proverbs is a book, first and foremost, about wisdom. And given the huge emphasis on relationships in the book of Proverbs, what more fitting way, I think, to end a book of wisdom like this than by instructing a young man what kind of woman he needs to look for in a wife. And I'm convinced that's part of the reason it's in this book, while at the same time helping to provide a young woman who might read these words, a guide to what she can become if she devotes her life to faithfulness to the Creator God, Lord of heaven and earth. This is a family woman in the traditional sense of the word family. She's a woman who's married to a man. She's a woman who has children that she's nurturing and teaching and raising and doting on and and loving. I've always thought women to be the stabilizing force in all of society, and that's part of the reason that we celebrate mothers uh, on a day like Mother's Day, because mothers tend to be the glue that holds the family together. Really, mothers tend to be the glue that holds the whole world together. We want to be honest about it. But thanks to television, to other forms of media, successful women have become stereotyped. If you watch what a successful woman looks like, on network television or on Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu or whatever, you're going to find that most successful women are portrayed as being tunnel-minded workaholics. They tend to live in self-imposed isolation. They're uninterested in marriage. They're uninterested in making a commitment. They're oftentimes angry. They're bitter, sometimes argumentative, oftentimes very profane the way they're portrayed. But Proverbs 12 and verse 4 says, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. I don't have to tell you if you want to get a spirited discussion started among a group of cultured, well-educated people, just start talking about the crown of a woman's life being her husband and her family. And I'm telling you, the sparks are liable to start flying. It says here in verses 11 and 12 of Proverbs 31, the heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. And so her husband doesn't have any fears. He doesn't have any suspicions. He trusts the judgment of his wife, and he reaps the benefit of being married to a woman who knows him, who knows the home, who organizes the home, keeps the home all together. Listen, I'm just telling you, as one who's done a number of marriages through the years and talked to tons of couples for hours and hours before they ever get married, I can just tell you that's the kind of thing most guys want in a potential wife. They want somebody that's, that's strong and that's well-organized, and that's the glue, the cement, to helping keep them on track and helping to keep their future family on track. Most men know it. They can be made or they can be broken by the support or the lack of support that they get at home from their wives. 
This passage implies that the man is known and respected at the city gates. Well, why, does that, why is that even in this passage? Well, because of the influence of his wife. He's known and respected at the city gates in large part because of the reputation of his wife. Uh, former First Lady Barbara uh, Bush, or Laura Bush rather, wife of George W. Bush. I was watching a program just the other night on public television about the presidency of George W. Bush. And it reminded me of an article I read several years ago out of U.S. News and World Report magazine about his wife, Laura Bush, and about her role in his development as a human being, as a man, as a husband, as a leader. The article that was published in that magazine said these words, Laura Bush is the center of her husband's emotional support system. Friends say Laura knows when to push, uh, pull Bush back and how to humble him and when to, keep, uh, when to simply stand at his side. She is, quite simply, the ballast that keeps her husband steady. And by the way, let me just add, according to the Scripture, not just the husband. She's the ballast that keeps the whole family supported and steady and headed in the right direction. The image that you get here in Proverbs 31 is of a hard-working woman who oversees the home and sees to the needs of the family, sees that those needs are met on a daily basis. Look again at verse 15. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household. Verse 21, she's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. And unless you Florida moms think that that verse doesn't apply to you, it surely does, even though we don't have snow typically in northwest Florida. But what that simply means is that she's always prepared, right? She's prepared for the best of times. She's prepared for the worst of times. And when that happens, the intended result is that the family recognize what moms bring to the family. And they are quick to recognize it. I'm telling you, during this period of COVID-19, when it became apparent that we were going to be kind of isolated for a while, I mean, Judy L. Locke went into overdrive. She went into high gear. She began to plan. She began to organize. She began to take care of the needs and the changes that were going to be obvious in our family for a period of time. That's the kind of thing that's being talked about here in this passage of Scripture. It's what ought to be happening in terms of us as husbands and family members recognizing that. It's what's supposed to be happening on a day like today all over our country. We ought to recognize that. We ought to admit it, and we ought to honor it. Look again at verse 27. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise and call her blessed, her husband also and he praises her. Family members, that's exactly what you ought to be doing for mom today. You ought to rise up, give her the honor that is obviously due her, call her blessed, encourage her in every conceivable way, shape, and form, because this is the main reason that we have a Mother's Day. It gives us an opportunity to publicly stand up, rise up, straighten up, and tell mom just how much of a blessing she is to every single one of us. I know a lot of women as well as men who get great praise, but some women don't always get it at home. And that's a travesty. We ought to be lavishing praise on the mothers of our family because the excellent woman, the Bible says, has the standing praise of her husband and her children, which next to the praise of God is the most important praise of all. An excellent woman 
supports her family. But notice, secondly, that an excellent woman cultivates her abilities. An excellent woman cultivates her abilities. I've always thought that any woman whose greatest aspiration was to gain absolute equality with a man was setting her standard way too low. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying to all the ladies out there today, your point of comparison is not with another person, not with another man, it's not with a human being. You need to know that God has made you to be you. You're an individual created in the image of God, and God has made you to be you, to grow and to prosper and to flower according to the gifts and abilities that God has given to you. You don't have to fit into anybody else's mold, no matter who makes the mold. And that simply means for every one of us, we give ourselves, our gifts, our abilities to God and say, God, here I am. I am a living sacrifice. I offer my life, my entire self to you. Show me how you want to use me. Show, you, show me what you want me to be and what you want me to become in order to make a difference maker this side of heaven in this life. I mean, that's the kind of wife that you see in this poem of Proverbs 31. She's a worker. She's a worker. She is a worker bee. It says in verse 13, she works with willing hands. And her work, by the way, can I just say, it's not confined to the home. First part of this message is kind of straight out of 1950, right? Ward and June Cleaver, that woman taking good care of the home, prioritizing the home, and that should be the case. But the woman and her hard work's not just confined to the home necessarily. There isn't a verse of Scripture that suggests that a woman cannot or even should not work outside of the home. Not a verse of Scripture that says a woman should not become educated, make the most of herself professionally, have a career outside of the home. Most of you know that my two brothers and I were raised for much of our childhood by a single mom who was the hardest working woman I've ever known in my life. She worked outside the home for as long as I have known her up until the time she retired just a few years ago, often working multiple jobs outside of the home. Judy was a stay-at-home mom for 17 years of our marriage, but several years ago, she went back into the working world and uh, began uh, uh, her career again, having worked for a while before we had children. She rejoined the workforce when the kids got a little bit older. And those college expenses started to loom large. So an excellent wife develops her abilities. But here's the thing. Nothing in the Bible says you cannot or should not even work outside the home. But what the Bible would say is that there are certain priorities that you shouldn't get out of order. And what you don't want to do is ever sacrifice your family on the altar of a career. It's often a very tough balance, and I get it. We all have to be careful that we don't make personal choices to the detriment of our children, our marriages, and our families. Listen, that's just as true for men as it is for women. So family ought always be our top priority outside of our own personal abiding relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And again, I'm not talking about have-to situations. Sometimes you've got to do what's necessary to keep your family fed, keep the bills paid, keep everybody afloat. But much of the time, particularly in our culture, we see people making personal choices or financial choices that come with a very steep price when they don't necessarily have to do that. It comes with a steep price with regard to our families and with regard to our children. So pursue that career as long as you've got a proper sense of biblical priority. Look again at verses 16 and 17. This excellent woman considers a field and buys it. 
With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Verse 17 literally reads, she girds her loins with strength. The translation we read, she dresses herself with strength. But in a literal translation, she girds up her loins with strength. Now think about that. That's a very unusual statement to make for a woman. That's usually descriptive of what a man does, girding up his loins. In other words, preparing himself for some energetic activity, whether hard work or uh, a military exercise or whatever the case might be. But here the biblical writer applies that to the woman, even though it's a very unusual metaphor. It just simply means that the, this excellent woman is industrious and diligent, and she's not afraid of hard work. It's another way to say that would be she rolls up her sleeves. Verse 18, she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. And so this is a businesswoman in many respects much like Lydia in Acts chapter 16, uh, a businesswoman who'd done very well successfully for herself as a merchant of dyed goods and fine linen. Verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. So all that to say this is an enterprising, energetic woman. She expends hard work both in managing her home and hard work in her business interest. I mean, this is a woman that apparently is going nonstop. She's enterprising, but not only that, She's paying careful attention to those even outside of her family. Her interests extend beyond, beyond herself, beyond her family, beyond her work, and it extends to those in need. Verse 20, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. So as this woman works for her family, as she works for herself, as she develops her career, she keeps eyes open for hurting people. It's apparently a woman that's got some semblance of the gift of mercy, right? She, she has her eyes open to people with needs, and she does what she can in order to meet those needs, those hands, those very hands that work so hard to earn and to develop are the same hands that extend outward and open up and are ready to give and to encourage. I know more than a few women, as you do, I'm sure, that are just like that. They seem to be able to do it all, and they do it with grace, with courage, with diligence, and with dignity. And that leads me to a third quality of an excellent woman, and that is that an excellent woman recognizes her value. She recognizes her value. Not necessarily the value that she has created because of what she's done, but the excellent woman knows where she's come from. She knows God. She knows who God is. She knows that she is a creation of God and a child of God. And because of that, because in the beginning God created not only the heavens and the earth, but God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And because we know we're created in the image of God, we have a proper sense of value, not egotistical, self-centered value, 
but a sense of value in that we belong to God, we come from God, and if we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we become the very dwelling place of God this side of heaven. And let me just say to everyone out there today, when you don't recognize that, when you don't have a proper self-esteem that comes from that kind of understanding of who you are spiritually and biblically, it's usually going to show. It'll show on your face the cares of this world and the stresses of this life. It'll show oftentimes in the way that you comport yourself and the way that you carry yourself and the way that you present yourself. It'll show in your appearance. It'll show in the way that you oftentimes maintain your home and the things that God has given you. I mean, the people that tend to be the most effective and faithful stewards in this life are the people that recognize who they are, who God is, where they've come from, and that one day there's going to be an accounting when we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for how we've used everything that God has entrusted us, skills, abilities, resources, you name it. Look again at verse 22. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. This is a, a strong woman. She's got some business savvy but she's elegant. I mean, she's concerned about the way she looks. She's concerned about her appearance. She's concerned about how her home is presented. And I think that's important. Dressing well and decorating your home with a sense of appropriate pride was not considered wasteful. It wasn't considered frivolous. This is a woman who knows that because of who she is as a child of the king, that she's valuable. She's worth something. She's worth something to God and worth something to her family, and she's of great value to her community. It's a confident woman, confident. Verse 25 says, strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the days to come. That means she lives unafraid. Amen. And heaven knows we need more of that. She's well aware that she can't predict the future, that she doesn't know what's around the next bend in the road, but she doesn't live in fear. She laughs at the days to come. She lives up. She lives with encouragement. She lives with an incredible trust in the living God who's promised to meet all of her needs according to His incredible riches in glory. You know, for so many women, the greatest enemy that they face is time. They don't laugh at the days to come. They worry about the days to come. A recent Miss Universe winner, the young woman that won the Miss Universe contest, once admitted to undergoing 19 cosmetic surgeries in the first 20 years of her life. I just find that tragic. 19 cosmetic surgeries in the first 20 years of her life. But listen, the godly woman's not afraid of time. She laughs at the days to come. Why? Because she has a confidence, an appropriate confidence, not so much a confidence in herself. That's a misplaced confidence, and that will let you down every time. But she's confident in God, and she's confident in the person that she is as created by God. She's confident in the God-given abilities that the Lord has given to her. The Bible says she's not only clothed in linen and purple, which is a color of regality, she's, a, she's clothed in the finest of garments, but she's clothed, clothed even more significantly with the greater garments, 
called strength and dignity. Ladies, mark it down. I want you to hear me clearly. You are of incredible value to God. Galatians 3.28, in Christ there's neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Never doubt your value to the God who has given you life. Never doubt that God wants the very best for you and that God can, will, and wants to use you to make an incredible difference to your husband, your family, to your church, to your community. And if you set the standard for excellence personally and at home, your family will bless you for it. At least they should. Shame on them if they don't. Look at verse 31. Give her the reward she has earned. You guys and gals see that out there this morning, you family members? Give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring her praise at the city gate starting at the front door of your own home. So ladies, God recognizes your value. You should recognize it. Your husband should recognize it. Your children should recognize it too. And then finally this morning, an excellent woman fears the Lord. That may be the most important thing I'll say all morning. Do you have an appropriate fear of the Lord? That should really be said for all of us. doesn't matter if we're men or women. But the Bible goes out of its way here at the capstone of the book of Proverbs, which culminates in this great paragon of poetry to the excellent woman. This passage of Scripture makes it clear that an excellent woman has a right relationship with God. She not only trusts the Lord, she has an appropriate fear of the Lord. Verse 30, which may be the most recognized verse of the whole chapter. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who what? Say it out loud with me. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. I'm just saying that's the secret of anybody's success, whether you're man or woman, young or old, boy or girl, it doesn't matter. The one who fears the Lord is to be praised. Now, a thing wrong with charm or beauty, this passage of Scripture has been elevating that. Think highly of yourself as a person created the image of God. Present yourself well. You have incredible value to God. Hold your head up high. Dress well. Present your home well. Nothing wrong at all with charm or with beauty or presenting yourself in a way that is uh, healthy and, and good and has a proper sense of self-esteem. This woman here does that. But what the writer is telling young men and women here is that physical tra- attractiveness is not the end all. Physical attractiveness, even personal qualities by themselves are inadequate reasons for marrying anybody. And again, I think part of the reason that this was written by Solomon was to be a guide book, a mile marker of wisdom for his sons. And so he says, you have to be careful about the superficial, about the things that you can see, because there are things more important than that. Because here's the thing, everybody knows it, you can fake physical beauty. 
And you can turn on the charm. There's a reason we call it cosmetic. You know, it's the idea of this outward appearance. You can turn on the charm. Sometimes it's fake charm. What matters most of all is not the condition of anybody's face or the condition of anybody's body. The condition of the heart, the Bible says, is what's most significant. So when it comes to the excellent woman, the priority question, the the most important question, does this woman know God? Does she honor God? Has God transformed her heart into a heart of integrity, a heart of love, and a heart of compassion? As she lives, does she carry herself with the character of God obviously flowing from her life? Does her life glorify God? You see, that's the foundation for any successful life. Does she have a worldview that's been shaped by the Bible? Does she have a worldview that's been shaped by an ongoing, abiding, personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ? A woman who fears the Lord, that woman is to be praised. See, that's the excellent wife. That's the ideal woman. She's diligent. She's industrious. She's confident. She's elegant. She's compassionate. She's a loving mother. She's a caring wife, a trusted wife, a gifted teacher, a keen economist. But most importantly, she's a faithful servant. Now, man, we talk about all of these great qualities that go into the making of an excellent woman, and it raises an important question. I know sometimes people, is there any person on the planet that looks like that? I mean, is this really a false standard? Can anybody live up to that? Well, let me just give you you a moment of relief this morning because the answer is, well, maybe not all of it, at least not all at the same time. But here's the thing that I've learned. A, we're all broken. I mean, this is kind of the picture of an ideal in many respects. We run into the same thing oftentimes when we're dealing with ministry candidates or when we're dealing with deacon candidates and we go to 1 Timothy and we show them the biblical qualifications for being a minister, the biblical qualifications for being a deacon. And many times guys will just look at that and they'll shake their head and they'll think, there's no way, you know, that, that doesn't always look like me. And this won't always look like you. But one thing I do know, you can do what you can do. You can honor God with your life. And when you're facing life decisions, sometimes on a daily basis, life decisions about you and your family that impact not only yourself but those around you. You can learn to live in such a way that this becomes an ideal in your life because you, when you live every day of your life, you ask yourself questions as a living sacrifice to God. You ask yourself questions like, Lord, is this something that you want me to do? Lord, does this fit with the season of my life right now? Or is this something that needs to wait for a little bit? Lord, give me a vision of how this is going to impact my life. And if I say yes to this, how's this going to impact my family? How's this going to impact my schedule? How's this going to impact my sanity? Is this something I need to do? 
Or is this something that I need to not do, at least right now? Do I want, and why would I want to do this? Is my heart right? Are my motivations right? Do I, do I want to do this in order to bring honor and glory to you? Or is this something that's all about me? Do I want to do this for a sense of self-gratification? Or am I trying to do this in order to impress other people? Is this a godly pursuit or a self-centered pursuit? Those are questions that all of us should ask, man or woman, male or female. Because ultimately, the true success of our life comes down to this. Am I living my life in order to honor and glorify God? Man, the world give you all kinds of opinions about what makes for a truly successful life, what a truly successful woman is supposed to look like. But I'm just saying this morning, the advice that you'll often hear out on the street usually has something to do with pleasing yourself or pleasing other people, and that's always something that leads to a dead-end street. The only path to true liberation and the only real peace that you'll ever find in life is to learn that you're not here ultimately to please people. You're not even here to please yourself because this life is not about you and it's not about me. We're here to know God and to make much of God, and ultimately we're here to please God with our life. That's the priority of what the Bible refers to as an excellent woman, and it all starts with the last thing first, a woman who fears the Lord. That woman is the excellent woman in the eyes of God, and she, brothers and sisters, is worthy of our praise and worthy of our honor on Mother's Day and indeed every day.